Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you. I'm back to James from Gunnerblog now. I yeah, guess. people were too confused. They thought it might have been James, <laughs> actor James oh, Spader. No, they yeah, thought, yeah, sure. a- actor James Spader. That's who people thought it was. They were going, why are you doing a podcast with the guy from Boston Legal? And I mm. said, well, you know, look, you've got you to spread the talent around a little bit. But no, I'm, I'm, glad it's, uh, I'm glad things are back to normal. People can relax knowing that it's yeah. the right James straight away. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I, know, I had an okay weekend, yeah. I was supposed to go to the cinema last night, but I didn't get there because we've been having all kinds of problems with Arsblog news servers and stuff like that, which are still ongoing. So I couldn't get to the cinema, unfortunately. But there oh. you go. What were you intending to see? Uh, the Spike Lee film. Uh, the yeah, Black yeah. KKK Klansman thing. Black Klansman, yeah. yeah. So I was kind of looking forward to that. Spike Lee, of course, is a big Arsenal fan. I'm sure many people know that. But uh, if you didn't, there's a little piece of trivia for you. So, um, yeah, that was it. That was my Sunday evening um, done in for. But there you go. Not the end hey, of the world. tell you what. what? Tell you what I did yesterday. I was at a hotel uh, in the New Forest called The Pig. And they have pigs there. Uh, they keep pigs on this uh, sort of property. And there was a type of pig there. It's called a kunikuna pig, which is spelled K-U-N-E-K-U-N-E. And I got to cuddle a pig. Wow. Like a full-size pig, not like a little piglet you can put in your handbag. Like a like, baby, like a, the micro pigs. The people yeah, not one of those. It was If it was one of those, the situation had spiraled out of control, to be honest right. with you. And it was huge. And it was, if you Google them, kunikuna, they're sort of, I can only describe... It is like a brush-like consistency, incredibly coarse fur. But it was, I've always wanted to hug a pig. I finally got to do it and it was about as satisfying as I imagined it would be. Wow. One off your bucket list. And surprisingly clean, despite their reputation. Right, right. And has it, did it, I mean, I'd be worried about hugging a pig in case I, you know, felt bad about bacon. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I do eat, bacon and I find it delicious I suppose in many ways the hug was me saying sorry <laughs> sorry sorry for all my crimes I've committed against his kind down the years I, and the crimes I will commit in the future yeah I mean at that very hotel where I was staying I, I had um, some delicious cured meats and I, I, you know there was a moment of conflict but I think I'm able to sort of 
allow myself that piece of cognitive dissonance to yeah. love the pigs but also love the product alright well there you go what a, what a weekend you had and what a weekend Arsenal had as well another win a win on the road away from home holy moly there weren't too many of those last season and we've got off to a well not quite a flyer because we did lose at Stamford Bridge but 3-2 against Cardiff probably the second worst team in the league after West Ham but a win is a win is a win three points are three points sure they hadn't scored a goal all season and we gave them two, but putting that to one side, <laughs> I think <it> was... <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, that that stat was doing the rounds before the game. And I was I was, you know, the way we have this tendency for gallows humor as Arsenal fans, yeah. the whole like, well, if there's any team that's going to let Cardiff score a goal, it's us. But really, if there is any team that's going to let Cardiff score a goal, it is us. It is absolutely us. And we we proved that point on more than one occasion, twice. Um, but yeah, look, we won away from home. It's a strange and unsettling, unfamiliar feeling. I know we did it on the last day at Huddersfield, but that, that didn't feel like a proper match of any kind, did it? Uh, so this was nice. And I suppose it was eventful, you would say. It certainly was. It was more eventful than we might have liked, um, yeah. particularly from the, the, the first minute when... You know, this playing out from the back that Unai Emery is, is very wedded to, wants his team to do. We we saw that we're not necessarily as comfortable as we thought we might have been. We look better against Chelsea. We look, we look better at it against West Ham. And when I say we, I kind of mean Petr Cech because so much of it starts with him. But, but early on now, I have to say, I'm not sure he was given the greatest pass of all time from Socrates. Uh, I think there's some relationships there that still need to be built. We talk about, we talk about uh, Socrates and Mustafi learning to play with each other each other. I think uh, they've got to learn to play with Czech as well and what kind of passes to give to him at the right time, etc, etc. But like the first minute of the game and he just about keeps the ball in for a corner or from going out for a corner and uh, then Socrates gets clattered in a, in a tackle, you know. It, it really feels like you're putting yourself under unnecessary pressure right from the start. Yeah, I have to be honest, I missed the first, I think, eight minutes of this game. I didn't see them live. Right. Because uh, I was looking for a country pub which was showing the game, and eventually I found one. And I think that that probably put me in a much more relaxed position than every other Arsenal fan, because it sounds like it was incredibly distressing. I have seen Czech's uh, particular gaffe, and we saw, I suppose, why Cardiff were struggling goals for goals until that point with the way he blasted over the bar but I uh, I wasn't watching it live and I felt quite relieved about that because it would have frayed my nerves mm. had I been yeah it, it wasn't it, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't good for the blood pressure that's for sure yeah I mean do you blame sort of Jack exclusively in that scenario or do you think it is just a relationship thing an understanding thing I mean a lot of people I was sort of following Twitter as I was watching the game and people calling for Czech to be dropped now because of this and stuff like that I mean how much do you read into it and how big a deal is it I think for the first incident where he stopped the ball going out for a corner, I don't think that was all on him. Maybe it was a little bit of a heavy touch, but maybe there's a an element of the centre-halves needing to know when not to pass it back to the goalkeeper. I think that could be part of, of that particular incident. But the one where he played it straight to Harry Arter, just inside the D, and, and Arter had a shot from inside the box, I don't think you can blame that on anybody but the goalkeeper. You know, yeah. I think as a as a guy of that experience, I can only assume that he didn't see Arter standing there because from what I could see from watching it and watching it again on replay, he's trying to pay, play a straight pass to Genduzi, who mm. is on his own in midfield. 
the only slight snag is the fact that Harry Arter is standing on the edge of our box and Czech plays it straight to him. So I think you've got to put that one entirely down to the goalkeeper. Yeah, and and, and do you think it's as simple as he just doesn't see him? I mean, that's what it looks yeah. like to me. It's yeah. just a moment of blindness and madness yeah um, and I guess we were really lucky not to pay a, a more significant price for that one we certainly were and then there was the moment early in the second half where we come out for half time you know having just equalised before the, or been equalised against having mm. let one in whatever way you want to say that in good English but you would like to come out and say okay we're going to reassert our control on the game we're going to be calm we're going to be sensible from the start and again some poor distribution from Czech puts us under pressure and I think the the thing is at this level when you make mistakes like that even if it's against a team like Cardiff with all due respect you know you 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 put yourself on the back foot and if you do it against a yeah. team like Cardiff, you might get away with it, as we did a couple of times yesterday. But if you do it against a much better team with better players, you're going to concede goals when you make those kind of mistakes. And, you know, it's it's a real worry now, not only that Czech has seemingly taken a little bit of a step backwards in terms of how he can play this way, but also that... Emery seems to be still quite wedded to the idea of Czech as his number one keeper and also Czech playing that particular way. I know he's not going to come out and say, well, you know, this is terrible. It's time for Bernd Leno to get a game. But it just makes me worry that we've spent £22.5 million on a goalkeeper who is so unconvincing at all the other aspects of his game that Emery is prepared to overlook the fact that he's better on the ball than Czech, if that Mm. makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a slightly sensationalist way to put it, but if, if Czech is this bad with his feet, how bad is Leno with his hands? I mean, that that is kind of what it makes you wonder. And I, I think, I mean, Emery does seem quite tied to Czech. I mean, he, he doesn't place huge emphasis on the armband, but Czech is his captain in this team. I mean, he's obviously one of the pillars of this squad as far as he sees it. Um, I, I don't expect an immediate change. Uh, I think Leno is probably going to have to wait for the cup competitions to stake his claim. The question is, when he does get that chance, will he keep it? You know, if, if he impresses, will Emery use that as his opportunity to kind of yeah. segue him into the side? I think the check is probably... I think he's one more performance away from being dropped or from a mm. position where he should be dropped. Because the first game, okay, you say, you have the mitigation of saying, it's against Manchester City. It's the first game of the new season, under a new manager, playing a new style, asking Czech to play in a way that he hasn't really been asked to play in for a very long time, if he was ever asked to play like that at all, right? So you have yeah. that one game in mitigation. Fair enough, we can all put that in that context. These two performances where I thought he was much better with his feet, his distribution was good. However, we went backwards again then against Cardiff. He had another performance where his mistakes put the team under pressure. And you can say, okay, we're still learning. We're still trying to come to terms with the way we need to play this kind of football. However, if you have another game like this where you make mistakes, where you give opportunities, guilt-edged opportunities to the opposition, I think... A manager is perhaps not doing his job well enough if he doesn't seriously, seriously consider a change. Because if it was a centre-half 
who was making those mistakes, he would get dropped. If it was a mm. midfielder who kept giving the ball away, he would get dropped. If it was a striker who was missing chance after chance after chance, he would get dropped. And I think the same has to apply to the goalkeeper, regardless of his seniority, regardless of how uh, Emery views him as a captain, regardless of how nice a guy Petr Cech is, how he's willing to hold his hands up and accept his mistakes. I think there has to come a point where you say, okay, he's had enough chances and we need to then make a change. Well, especially when you do have an alternative. You know, we talk about centre-halves, but we don't have a, a £22 million centre-half with the, the profile and the experience of, that, you know, Leno has, you know, as an alternative. But we do in the goalkeeper position. We can afford to make that change. Um, and it is going to happen sooner or later, eventually. So maybe you're right. I think the difference as well with checking this game is unlike, say, the Chelsea match or the Manchester City match, this isn't a game where he kind of redeemed himself with a number of great saves. Mm. I mean, he only faced three shots on target and, you know, we conceded two goals. So I do wonder if that might count against him too. This was definitely a, a bad day for Czech and I don't think Emery will make the change yet, but I take your point. I think he's close, surely, at yeah. this stage. I, I remember when Gary Neville, you know that famous sort of Gary Neville clip that he was talking about Emery and he shouldn't change his philosophy. He talked about needing to give players... He didn't. He actually stopped short of saying it, but what he was going to say was enough rope to hang themselves, essentially, you know. Yeah. And I think, uh, I wonder if that's sort of happening with Czech at the moment, that Emery's given him the opportunity. He said, look, this is the way I want to play. I'm not going to adapt that to you. You have to adapt to me. He's given him that chance and he's... He's not really managing it. And so maybe that he feels he, he owes him that opportunity to prove himself in that system. And then when that fails, that's when he can make the change. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. But I do think that if we get another performance like that, it would be wrong of Emery not to to give a chance to the goalkeeper, to uh, Leno. You know, we've bought him. He is He is a guy better suited to playing that kind of football at the back. I think everybody accepts that. I think even probably Czech would accept that. Uh, Leno said last week, you know, this is why Arsenal bought me because they're, they're, they want to play this kind of football. You know, he's happy to wait for his chance, but when his chance comes, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, yeah, not a good day for Petr Cech at all. And, uh, you know, I, I like him. I, I personally, I like him. I think he's a, he's a good professional, but I do wonder if we're asking him to play in a way that just does not suit him. And, um, in a way, I feel a little bit sorry for him, you know, to see, you don't like to see any player uh, make mistakes, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. But there are casualties, aren't there? Yeah. There are casualties of change and yeah. maybe Czech will will be one. I mean, yeah. it's, September's going to be a really big month, I think, for the goalkeeping situation because we've got Newcastle away on the 15th when we come back. But then after that, the Europa League campaign starts, I think it's, it's Vorskler on the Thursday. Mm. And then, you know, that's, in theory, that's Leno's first start. And then you've got Everton at the weekend. I think if Leno does all right in that game, is he in contention to play again? Then you've got the League Cup. So there's a chance he could put a bit of a run together then and we might see the hierarchy shift. Mm. In terms of the team selection on Sunday, mm. did, were you surprised at all with... I was. I was. I, I really thought that Torreira would start. Who did you um, think he would start in place of? My gut said Genduzi. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, I just felt that, 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 that I've seen enough in the second half against West Ham of Shaka and uh, Torreira 
in tandem that I thought there was something promising about it and also just their seniority I thought it was kind of eventually you know they'll take their place in the team and this seemed like the time to do it so I was surprised about that um I suppose I was I was quite surprised to see Alex Iwobi not in the matchday squad. I don't know if that was cleared up at any point, if he's got a problem or No, there didn't like seem that. to be any suggestion of an injury or a problem. He was just dropped. So that was, I mean, a big drop from being in the first team last mm. week. Um, and I was pleased to see Lacazette and Aubameyang start. And I, and I had a hunch that might happen, given how impressive Lacazette was off the bench. But the Torreira one was... Yeah, the one that that really did surprise me. Yeah, really surprised I'm a little bit surprised by the midfield. Yeah, I thought Torreira would start. I thought it would be Torreira and Xhaka, which I think is... We're going to talk about Xhaka a bit later because there's so much going on with him and so many questions about him. I want to uh, discuss him in, in the second half of the show. But I, I thought it would be that. Um I also, oh, I also Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan. Yeah, yeah, I was a bit surprised that the relationship that had been building between... Bellerin and Mkhitaryan I don't think it's perfect and I don't think Mkhitaryan has been perfect by any stretch of the imagination I think he's been productive and he's 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 given us some goals uh, and what have you but I, I haven't necessarily been fully convinced by him this season but the relationship he was building with Hector Bellerin was a, re- a really positive one from an attacking point of view and I mm. thought that might be something that we we continued with so I was a little bit surprised to see him drop to the bench and I was a little bit surprised to see both Ramsey and Ozil starting um so yeah look i mean i guess it was one of those it was uh, i think tim stillman called it on the arse cast last friday where he said he thought that he might start with ramsey and uh, ozil but maybe ramsey further back in midfield but anyway uh i thought that was a little bit of a surprise it didn't really have a negative effect on us i think it was a game we were always going to dominate possession in you know, but I don't know that we created quite as much as we would have liked. You know, I I, I, I can see why when you start Lacazette up front, and I thought Lacazette was our best player on the day, so this is absolutely no criticism of him, and you push Aubameyang, Aubameyang to the left, I think you miss a bit of something from Aubameyang. I'm not sure he's quite as involved as you would like out there on the left-hand side. There were a couple of moments where he picked the ball up and you thought, okay, Maybe he can do what Thierry Henry used to do and he'd knock the ball beyond a defender and charge past him. And I think he tried that a couple of times. It just didn't really work out. I'm not sure that's yeah. his, the best part of, of his game, but... Uh, I think know- he's, a, he's an off-the-ball guy more than yeah. an on-the-ball guy, isn't sure. he? I mean, it's not a particularly flattering comparison, but I suppose he's when he put him wide, he's more of a, a Theo Walcott than an Alexis Sanchez, if you will. It's more about the, the runs off the ball than what he does with it. Yeah, his, his movement, I think, uh, as much yeah. as anything. You know, he's quick, obviously, but I do think his movement in the box is, is fantastic and he can arrive, uh, you know, at good pace and he can find spaces in there. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know that it's uh, an unfair comparison, um, even if I think there's a, a little gap in quality in terms of the way they uh, sure. score goals. But, uh, yeah, I know what you mean, though. You, you, it's tricky because you you don't see the best of him in that position. No. no doubt about that. I mean, look, he scored a terrific goal. There's, I think, a lot of positives to be talked about about his link with Lacazette, and I think we'll get on to that. But uh, it, it is, you know, if you're assessing him purely as an individual... He's not he's not at his best out there on the wing. But, you know, mm. the individual doesn't come first. We have to think about the team. And what I thought was good about Lacazette, right from the kickoff, really, is uh, he is, is so much more physical than he was when we first signed him. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, sometimes when I look at Aubameyang now, I do think actually he can be a bit lightweight as the centre forward. He's not great in the challenge. And that was what I felt about Lacazette when he first signed. I was like, we've bought a poacher, but not a centre forward, not someone who can hold the line, lead the line. And I think in the space of 12 months, the strides forward that he's made, particularly since he came back from that injury in around February sort of time, are pretty significant. And he looks... He looks hungry and he looks so much more um, comfortable, really, mm. I guess, with English yeah. football. I think he was the... Maybe that's inevitable. Sure. I think he was probably the big positive on the day for me. He, he really did play very well. He ended up with a goal and an assist. Uh, cracking goal for the, for, the, for the winner. Pass from Lucas Torreira. We might talk about that in, in a few minutes' time. But, mm. you know, we opened the scoring. Granit Xhaka with a corner to Shkodran Mustafi. Uh, the best thing about this goal wasn't just the fact that it was a thumping header, but if you watch the replays, have you watched the replays? Yes. Is this Lacazette? This, well, it's Lacazette. I've watched it again a few times. And what happens is they all come over and they give him like three taps on the head, top of the head. Obama Yang does it. Uh, Genduzi comes over and he does it. Three little, you know, taps on the, the back of the head. Um, Ramsey comes over. He does it. Three little taps. And Lacazette comes from behind him and he fucking smacks him three times on the back of the head to the point where Mustafi turns around. He's like, ow, who the fuck, who did that? <laughs> I said he was more physical this season. Yeah. <laughs> that isn't what I meant. <laughs> but uh, there is there is a newfound aggression in Lacazette. I mean, yeah, maybe he was, uh, I don't know, a bit of retribution for all the times his goals have been cancelled out by defensive mistakes over the past <laughs> 12 months. But uh, I did enjoy And I have to say, I enjoyed the goal. I mean, it's a great delivery yep. and a, a really good header. Really good. And header. he was very dangerous, I, actually. Quick to criticise Mustafi. Sure. He was very good in their box, wasn't he? Yeah, he, excellent. He really was. He nearly scored again in the second half as well. And, you know, he does have a good knack for getting on the end of things, scores a few goals, uh, good from set pieces in the opposition box. So credit where it's due, he, he really did score a good goal yesterday. Yesterday. Now they had chances, and I think this is part of what what worries many of us about the way that we've started the season under Unai Emery. We can talk about four games, we can talk about needing to understand a system, we can talk about organization, but there are there are basic things going on defensively that are concerning that don't seem to be improving like it's okay you know if you're getting pulled apart by um, by Man City and Chelsea we understand that because they've got fantastic players they've got Sergio Aguero they've got Eden Hazard they've got world class players in attacking positions I'm not sure you can say that about Cardiff City and Cardiff had 14 attempts on goal I know there were only three on target uh, to Arsenal's 15 attempts on goal we had 72% possession to their 28 percent possession so that's kind of a worry for me that they were able to to fashion that many chances and also to miss some chances there were a couple of crosses that went in that they didn't get near uh but which were dangerous um you know had they been on the front with the with the overhead kick do you remember there was a and i think if he the overhead kick was sort of the eventual chance but he sort of didn't reach for a header just before that yeah before the ball rebounded to him that was a fantastic opportunity i mean they they were threatening and, and when their goal came I know it was close to half time bad time to concede and all that but you couldn't argue that they probably deserved a goal from the way the first half had played out yeah for sure I mean and we invited pressure on ourselves that was true of the second goal which we'll discuss now but the first goal that we conceded we picked the ball up we win the ball back in our own half well Xhaka is on the ball He's got a couple of options. He can go back to Socrates. He can play a square ball to Genduzi in midfield. But he spots the run of Hector Bellerin. And for me, this, is a, this isn't a bad idea from Granit Xhaka. Because I think if he plays the ball correctly, 
Bellerin is in lots of space down the right-hand side and we can we can stretch them because of his pace and because of his ability mm. to get down that right-hand side. So I don't think it's necessarily the bad option. What I think it is is bad execution from Granit Xhaka. He, he plays the pass poorly straight to a Cardiff player. They worked the ball out to the right-hand side. I don't think we defended it well enough. I don't think we got out to stop the cross well enough. I don't think we defended the ball well enough when it came into the box. Touch of good fortune the way it broke to Camarasa and he buried it uh, to make it 1-1 just before halftime. But a lot of people going, okay, this is entirely down to Granit Xhaka and losing the ball in that area. And I take the point that we, if we just control possession, if we'd held on to the ball, perhaps we go into the to the halftime break 1-0 up. I get that. But I do think yeah. that there is a bit more going on than just Xhaka giving the ball away, which of course is a frustration. And again, I'm going to discuss this with you further in the, in the second half of the show with Xhaka. So just your thoughts on, on the goal. Well, I mean, my first reaction was was actually not to be particularly furious with Xhaka. I mean, I, I was exasperated. It was a bad ball. We conceded possession completely carelessly and unnecessarily. I, I accept that. But I did think that from that point on, we really didn't cover ourselves in any particular glory. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Bellerin has made the run forward, but he's caught out. But the way that we as a team respond to that wasn't great uh, I, I've just been watching it back now actually as we've been talking and Gendouzi kind of gets drawn very central he doesn't show really any awareness of the, the danger that's outside him that's been a bit of a theme this season I think the yeah. two holding midfielders you know not getting wide enough to cover their fullbacks because I can tell you he's not going to protect Bellerin and that's Meza Ozil who at the time uh, that Shaka gives the ball away is stood in the number 10 position Aaron Ramsey who's the kind of number 10 is right out on the left wing so it's a lopsided team. We're not properly covered defensively. And I think it is the responsibility of those central midfield players to do that. Um, I can accept, look, Gendouzi, A, is a young player. B, Shaka's given the ball away. He's probably thinking, I need to get back, cover the middle. But it's not great shape and it's not great defending. Um, Shaka is one of those players, though, who... <clears throat> Sorry, forgive me. A, a, a bit like Laurent Koscielny seems to be a very competent player. I mean, the early Koscielny this is, whose game is sort of undermined by these high-profile errors. Mm. Um, Alex mm. Oxlade-Chamberlain had a similar knack, didn't he? It felt like every time he gave the ball away, it, it led to a goal. Yeah, I mean, that was true of Jack at the start of last season as well, that he would make mistakes yeah. that were brutally and ruthlessly punished. But again, I do want to keep Xhaka for a, a separate discussion, sure. so we'll come, back, we'll come back to him. Second half, um, I, I was looking at the, the stats at halftime and Mesut Ozil had made fewer passes than any Arsenal midfielder. Again, mm. this is not like him. He's usually the guy through which so much of our play goes when we get towards the final third. But only Aubameyang had made fewer passes. And I think we all accept that that's not really his game. He's a striker being played on the wing. So we can kind of compartmentalize that. But I thought in the first part of the second half, once we got over that little uh, check blunder again and began to assert control and dominance in terms of territory and possession that Ozil became a lot more involved. He was looking for the ball in deeper positions. He found his passing range. There was a really great pass fizzed into Aaron Ramsey in the box. He found a really good Ramsey run. Ramsey couldn't control it, unfortunately. But we were seeing a bit more ambition in his passing, and he was involved in the second goal. His pass into Lacazette flicked off to Aubameyang, and what a finish from outside the box. That's not something we, we uh, usually see from him. No, I mean, that was first goal, was it in 75, something like that, from outside the box? 76, 
76, there you go. So, I mean, it was a great goal. So much to like about it. Ozil's pass into Lacazette, the flick from Lacazette uh, and the finish from Aubameyang. And not the first great flick Lacazette pulled out on the day. I think in the first half, there was one from a corner, wasn't there, which uh, led to an Aaron yeah. chance, a neat little back heel. So I thought his link play all day was good, as we discussed. I thought he was that kind of centrifugal point of the attack. But nice to see Aubameyang get a goal because it, it, I wonder if it had been playing on his mind we talked mm. last week about his confidence and Emery talking about uh, you know him, him just needing one to go in and he, he got that and in some style I mean a lot harder than some of the other chances he's had this season yeah for sure good finish and, and go on great finish I was just going to say on the Mesut Ozil thing I, I didn't necessarily think he'd start this game I wondered if he might start on the bench you know after whatever had gone on last week mm. didn't necessarily know what kind of place he was in uh, heading into this match but I thought watching it I watched, I was sort of suddenly reminded all season long I've sort of been labouring under the idea that it's a case of one of Aaron Ramsey and Meza Ozil you yeah. know, and it's felt a little bit like Emery sees it that way too but watching this there were moments where I thought well actually if I think back to 2013-2014 Ramsey's best season and some of Ramsey's other best performances and indeed best goals Meza Ozil's quite often been a big part of them you know they're, they're actually mm. a couple of players who've had a pretty good understanding on the field and in theory Ramsey's movement off the ball and his combination play makes him an ideal foil for Ozil and you know I, I know there's a lot to be worked out in terms of whose starting position is where is Ramsey on the right is Ozil at 10 or vice versa but I don't think, given the quality of both players, and given that they are both here until whenever, certainly January at the earliest, I don't think we should disregard using them in tandem. And I thought there were some encouraging signs in that respect in this game. Mm, I think that's a great point, because Ozil is a player who who thrives on movement and the movement of others because he's got the vision and the ability to find the passes. And Ramsey, whatever you might say about him, his movement is superb. His ability to arrive in the box, uh, his ability to to charge beyond the defenders and arrive late uh, could be really good, um, as you say, good foil for Ozil. So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. We might see that depending on the opposition, how how Emery decides to use both those players, whether it's one of or either or or, or both together. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but uh, uh, just on that, as yeah. well, sorry, I, I just mentioned you mentioned about depending on the opposition. And one thing I thought during this game was how we, I think, as fans, are sort of tempted to be waiting for the definitive Unai Emery mm. team and Unai Emery performance to emerge. And that actually, what's been the case is that we've seen sort of very different versions of, of the Unai Emery Arsenal. And of course, that's partly because it's early in his reign; it's a function of that. But I do wonder if. We're so used to seeing a manager with one philosophy and one way of playing and trying to impose that on every other team. I do wonder if something we might have to get used to is a bit more variance in terms of the way we play, the way we set up and the personnel as well. Yeah, that's true. Ramsey spoke before the game about one of the key differences and I know we've heard this before, but it's about how much attention Emery pays to the opposition and probably if you're paying that much attention to the opposition, you tailor your team selection much more to that than you would do if you were just focusing on getting your best 11 out there and getting them playing their best football, which is mm. uh, obviously the way that, that Arsene Wenger operated. What disappointed me somewhat after the, the second goal was the fact that we allowed Cardiff back into it. Because we've yeah. been dominating possession, we've been dominating territory, 
And the minute they scored, we just sort of let them have the ball a bit. And they built some momentum. I know it wasn't a foul uh, by Lacazette in midfield on Harry Arter. Anthony Taylor gave the free kick. It was a wrong free kick to give. But I think it came at the end of a, a period of maybe five minutes where Cardiff had far more of the ball and far more uh, of the ball in our half than they really should have considering the, West, uh, considering the way the rest of the game went. Yeah, I mean, there's only eight minutes, I think, between us taking the lead and Cardiff equalising. And, you know, that 10 minutes after you score, we should have the quality to, to control that period, particularly against a side like Cardiff, who I don't think are anything special, you know. I mean, no. just looking at the, the personnel alone, you know, there was little to frighten you in theory there. Um I actually have more issue with that, with our failure to control the game, than I do with this goal specifically. Because looking at the goal, like from the moment the set piece is taken, I, it was quite a well worked dead ball. We, you know, I, I don't have a huge qualms with. There's not like an individual in the fence. Where I'm like, well, you could have done more necessarily. Mm. I think sometimes it's just a well executed set piece. But the fact that we didn't seize control of the game at that point was, I think, more concerning. So we bring on Lucas Torreira and I think we assert mm-hmm. our control again when he comes onto the pitch. The stats uh, that he racked up in the whatever 20 minutes, 25 minutes he was on the pitch were fantastic. Every single one of his passes found a, found its target. 100% pass completion rate. He won three out of his three tackles. He pushed us higher up the pitch, I think. And, you know, this is why uh, and the Xhaka discussion can come again. It's kind of why I, I, I would like to see Xhaka with Torreira for a few games because it feels to me like that's a fit those two together that when they play they're sort of complementary in a way that Jack and Ganduzi aren't and I'm not mm. blaming Ganduzi or anything like that I just feel like there's more to Torreira and Jacka than there might be to Ganduzi and Jacka when you look at the the way we've played with those two together in the center of midfield but look let's focus on Torreira for now uh he really has to be pushing for a start I think Uh, You know, there may be acclimatization things, there may be fitness issues, but I think what he's shown in this particular cameo is his ability to influence a game and to give us more in midfield than we had throughout the the previous 70 minutes. You know, a great assist for, for Lacazette as well. And, you know, I would be, I have to say, I'll be disappointed if he doesn't play the next game from the start. Yeah, it feels telling, doesn't it, that I think he was about to come on before Cardiff equalised. So I think Emery had already recognised, you know, this is a game where we're struggling to control the midfield. Both mm. our midfielders were on a booking as well, which didn't help. Uh, and so he already knew Torreira was the guy we needed. And so it proved when he came on. I thought it was, I thought he was excellent, actually, in that last yeah. 20 minutes. Um, he didn't put a foot wrong. And there were a couple of moments where... Did you see that video um, from training uh, this week where they were doing the kind of one-on-one drills? That yeah. thing where he, he did the block on Hector Bellerin. He sort of chased back, did a block, stood up, nutmegged him and, and headed Took off, off the at the direction. ball, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there were a couple of moments, a little bit reminiscent of that during the game, where he was able to win the ball and then just show neat little... I'm not going to say Cazorla-esque, but nimble footwork, you know, to work yeah. his way out into space and open the play and that's exactly what we kind of dream that he might bring to this Arsenal team I I thought you don't want to go overboard because it's still early days but I thought he was really really good and I think I think he does deserve to start I was a bit confused as to why he didn't as good as Gunduzi has been um, I was a bit confused by that and I sure I think that now especially given he's got the international break as well he's got a bit more time who knows you know if he's I don't know if he's travelling actually with Uruguay or not, but don't know. Irrespective, 
by the time we're in sort of, you know, mid-September, you'd have to think he's ready to start a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know there are going to be loads of people listening to this going, what, what do you mean it's Torreira and Jacko? Or why should Genduzi make way? And look, I'm not taking anything away from the way that Genduzi has played. I just feel like this this kid is, is a player of some potential, but um, I don't know. I just, I'm just not sure that he gives us quite enough yet in terms of the way... Emery wants us to play. I mean, Xhaka had by far the most touches of any player. Um, mm. he, he does have a passing range that is important um, to the way that we want to play. Uh, I know we've seen some flashes from Genduzi as well. And I realize that for many people, Xhaka is like, if he's not already in the last chance saloon, he's, he's ha- you know, halfway out of it. Um, but I just personally feel that, that Torreira and Xhaka is something I'd like to see. I'm not going to say w- without question that it's going to work, but I just feel like I need to see that before I make my definitive judgment on on Xhaka. And I, I, I see the flaws and I see the mistakes and I do see the issues and the frustrations that people have with him. But I, I, I wonder if those two together might give us something that no other midfield pairing we can put out will. But again, we'll tease that out uh, in, in the second part of the show. Um, what about the idea, James, that there is something to this team in terms of its character and its attacking potential. I know we didn't win at Chelsea, but we came from two goals down and got back Mm -hmm. to 2-2. We went behind against West Ham when we came back to win 2-1. Twice we're pegged back against Cardiff and we find it within ourselves to, to score a goal again and get ourselves ahead. Is that encouraging for you? You know, on the one hand, you're going, okay, well, I wish we would stop conceding goals. That would be far better. But it doesn't really um, make us put the heads down. It doesn't feel like a goal is a a killer blow in the way that it has done in the past. No, and I think... I think it's partly character, but I think it also speaks to the sheer amount of firepower that we have in the squad. I do think on that front, we are better served than we have been for some time. Uh, you know, there's Aubameyang, there's Lacazette. We're, we're talking about the different combinations potentially of Ramsey, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Danny Welbeck, I thought had a lively cameo when he came on right at the end. I think we've got plenty of attacking reserves of, of strength. So... That, I think, is going to be a bit how this season is. I don't think that starting Lucas Torreira is going to completely solve our defensive problems overnight. I don't think, you know, that introducing Mavropanos or Rob Holding or giving a bit more time to Socrates and Mustafi is going to Mm. make us have an impenetrable back line. I think that we are going to be reliant on our firepower, a bit like, you know, the Liverpool of a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. I think that is the situation. So I think getting those attacking combinations right and seeing those partnerships blossom and develop, and the fact that there's there's end product too, is promising. And we need to we need to try, uh, derive encouragement from that because I think that's going to be our our strong suit this season. Yeah, I do think we need to to sort ourselves out defensively, though. I really do. You know, I'd like to see it happen. You yeah. know, yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, of course, of course. And I, you know, I don't think it's unrealistic. And again, I'll, I'll sort of come back to. Maybe it's the perception that we have of this team being defensively weak because they are defensively weak. They have been defensively weak under Arsene Wenger. The only real addition to the defence has been Socrates. 
And I don't think you can say uh, at this early stage that Socrates has done anything to make us more defensively secure. I don't think he's done anything to make us any more defensively weak, by the way. But he hasn't helped shore things up in any way. And the way that we're playing, I think, invites a kind of pressure that that adds to that perception of defensive weakness, particularly when your goalkeeper makes mistakes, because then the opposition look at you and they go, well, look, if we do this, chances are they might fuck it up and we could have a, we could have a chance on goal. When you're, when you're expert at this playing out from the back thing, there is kind of a reluctance on the part of other teams to press you too high up the pitch because they know as soon as they get bypassed, they're on the back foot. You know, it's, it's about perhaps perfecting that part of the game in order to make us a bit more defensively secure, not not just because, um, not just because your goalkeeper isn't making mistakes, but because you're good at it, and because the opposition know you're good at it, that they don't necessarily commit people to the press the way that you know a team like Cardiff felt emboldened to press us that high up the pitch throughout yesterday's game. Yeah, I think you're right, and, and what we're guilty of as a team is giving encouragement to teams, you know, giving them a, a reason to to attack us, giving us a, a I don't know. It just inherently makes you more vulnerable. So mm. I, I would love to see the defence improve over the course of the season. I think it can. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is I don't think that's going to be as quick as any of us hoped. I think it's going to be a process and it's going to take time. A work in progress. Just one other thing before we go into the break in part two. Um, we are talking about positives and negatives. We're not drawing any massive conclusions. You know, four games in, we can only talk about what we're seeing and we can talk about it within the context of those four games. But I really enjoyed the fact that we picked up yellow cards yesterday for fouls around the halfway line, yeah. which snuffed out danger. Hector Bellerin made two fouls. He got away with one. And then he got booked, I think, for the for the second one. Granite Xhaka, people go, oh, there's another booking for Xhaka. But I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed that one where the, the guy went past him on the halfway line. He pulled him back, took a yellow card, and the momentum that they had going forward was snuffed out. Genduzi took a guy out off the ball, uh, which was quite fun to see as well. So the referee came back and booked him afterwards. But again, it's, it's kind of... Um, trying to add that cynicism to your game, which makes you a little bit more defensively solid because you're stopping danger getting into the really dangerous areas or you're stopping the opposition getting into the really dangerous areas where they can definitely do you harm. You know, we weren't great defending set pieces, but you'd fancy your chances of defending a ball that's been pumped in from the halfway line by the goalkeeper than you would a free kick that's, you know, 30 yards from your goal or 35 yards from your goal where a better delivery can cause you much better problems. And it it, it seemed to me anyway, and I could be wrong, that these players were acting on instruction. You know, they're yeah. told to make those fouls. It wasn't just an individual going, uh-oh, i got to do something desperate here. It felt planned and coordinated and like what they should be doing. Yeah, I, I think the reason that we can sort of know that is that it's it's a little bit against type for someone like Hector Bellerin. It's not necessarily what we've seen him doing. Yeah. Um, and I, it was particularly obvious in his case. I actually think there were three fouls. I think when the referee booked him, he indicated it was uh, the third thing. Right. Um, so I think, and I remember actually, because I think the third one was like a handball and it was sort of very soft. It was soft as a booking, but it was the case that he totted it up. And... Uh, yeah, I remember thinking uh, I was pleased to see it because we talked about it on here. I think it was last week, really, about against West Ham. You know, we saw the West Ham midfielders, Felipe Anderson, charging through, running 60, 70 yards up the pitch uninterrupted. And it felt like this was a response to that. And uh, I was pleased to see it. But I think we know it's new because 
we've seen these players fail to do that so many times in the past. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, yeah, look, maybe there is, you know, there are elements and bits and pieces that we're going to learn along the way, and if that's one of those things that we've learned so far this season, I hope we keep it up. And, of course, James, we are into the uh, top half of the table. We're currently in ninth, ahead of Manchester United in tenth. So, uh, all in all, a good weekend. Yeah, and Spurs lost to Watford, so... They did. Yeah, your hometown team, yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks to Hornets. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter uh, at Gunner Blog and at Arse Blog and also on the Arse Blog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arse Blog. James, I'm going to start with Granit Xhaka, and I don't mm. quite know which question we should deal with, but there's loads of them, so I'll just read out a few. Um, 1886, who's at 1886 underscore blog, says, how do you solve a problem like Granit Xhaka? Josh Benson, mm. who's at Josh Benson 1310, why is it that Xhaka is seemingly so important to our build-up, but also regularly a liability? Is he being asked to do too many jobs at once, and therefore will he, be, will he, uh, will he continue to be focused on the good things alongside Terrera, or should we try Ramsey and Terrera instead? Uh, then we have Neil Sieglechner, I think. Sorry, Neil, I'm, that's probably terrible pronunciation of your name, but he's at nsig underscore 11. Can you see any significant scope for improvement in Jacko, or do we need to give Emery more time with him before judging? Also, was his handball towards the end one of the weirdest you've seen? Yes, it was. Um <laughs> Simao, who's at Simon Weiss, says, can we hire the famous five to go look for Xhaka's brain? Uh, Matthew Rosenberg, at Matt Rosenberg, what does Xhaka have to do to get dropped? Rob a bank, eat a puppy, attend a Genesis appreciation concert? Stat shows his errors have already uh, directly cost us 674 conceded goals. Um, Eddie wants to know, can Xhaka's, uh, Edie, sorry, J underscore Ed, can Xhaka's poor decision-making realistically be coached out of him? His frequent lack of awareness doesn't seem to have shown any improvement since arriving at Arsenal. Um, there's just a litany of questions here about Jacka and the mistakes that he makes. And, you know, what's weird is I think any, everybody can see them. 
Everybody yeah. can see these mistakes and they can see the lapses in concentration. They can see the lapses in his execution sometimes, as I spoke about with that pass to, to Hector Bellerin. A lot of these are just kind of unforced errors. Um, if you were to use tennis parlance, he'd be like, like hitting the ball into the net where you know that he can do much better. A player of his quality can do better. Afterwards, Unai Emery says, Xhaka is very important for us. What, what mm. is it that Unai Emery sees in Granite Xhaka that Arsene Wenger saw in Granite Xhaka that sees him start almost every game for Arsenal and I think perhaps there is too much focus on the, the bad part of his game and maybe not, not enough credit for the, for the good things that he can do and the good parts of his game. But I understand why exactly that is. Because he is he's frustrating. You can see that there's talent there, but the mistakes are so often so costly. And yet we play him in every single game. I think I, the the line I came up with in our player ratings is, is that like he's a he's a really cold beer that doesn't quench your thirst. Uh, what are they seeing in him? I think what they're seeing in Granite Xhaka, what Unai Emery sees in him, looking at the stats from yesterday's game, is is ninety nine passes completed at eighty six percent. I mean, he is absolutely integral to the way we play on the ball on the ball mm. and you know when you look at the numbers say that Scott does on the you know on the by the numbers for us blog news I haven't seen the, the numbers for this particular game yet but he talks about passing value added and Shaka's always high on that list you know he, he's someone who helps us move up the field he he's generally great in possession of course you can all point to yesterday we can say look he gave the ball away but there weren't too many occasions when he did that and there never are he is, he is generally tidy with the ball. Um, I think Emery recognises that. And I think, I don't think we can expect him to change dramatically. You know, there was a question in amongst all those others saying, is he going to improve? Is he going to get better? Is he going to change? I'm not sure he's going to change dramatically. I think it's about putting Shaka in a place in the team where he's a little bit more protected and did, a little bit less yeah. vulnerable. Did you notice how how close he stayed to the left-hand touchline yeah. yesterday. I did see that. And, and I noticed as well that it seemed to me that, particularly in the first half, it was Genduzi who was uh, dropping deeper and dropping in between the two centre-backs a lot yeah. of the time. Because I think Emery must think, well, Genduzi's got the agility and maybe that little bit of acceleration to cope with being under pressure in that situation better than Shaka. Yeah. Um, and that Shaka maybe won't be the first pass but he'll be the second pass. And so an area he can make that pass from is, you know, maybe that he's thought there was space yeah. uh, in Cardiff's system for him to receive the ball there. And I, I think it will be the same with Torreira. I think Torreira will be the first pass not and Shaka the second. Yeah, I mean, it was clearly an instruction, I think, for Xhaka to mm. play that close to the left-hand touchline. And I do wonder if it's to open up the pitch for him. You know, he can play the ball down the line. He can play the ball over the top. He does have a good range of passing. He can spray the ball diagonally if we need to. Uh, unfortunately, he was caught out um, in doing that, the, the bad pass to, to Hector Bellerin. But I also, I wonder, I mean, is there anything... Is there anything about Xhaka's passing that is particularly exceptional that any other player in that midfield position couldn't 
do. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out why it is that, that he is the fulcrum for Unai Emery. If you look at the amount of passes made, I know uh, maybe this season, because he's been taken off a couple of times and, and everything else, the stats probably don't show it. But yesterday yeah. clearly showed it. He had more touches than any other Arsenal player. He made more passes than, than any other Arsenal player. And that's got to be part of the team's instruction, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, you, you know, it's a fair question you ask. Could someone else do it? I mean, Genduzi passed lower frequency, but at better accuracy. Uh, Genduzi was the most accurate passer in the team yesterday. I think with Shaka, it's... I think it is the range of passes that he has in his locker. I think it's that he can go short, he can go long, he can go over the top and kill the ball dead for a fullback to run onto. He can go cross field. I just think it must be that variety of passes that he brings. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sort of... I am I am like you, uh, wondering what it is that managers find so fundamental about him. But I think when I look at the numbers and when I look at the games, the answer that I keep coming back to is variety and quality of pass. Yeah, yeah. But that is, that is complemented and, and, well, contrasted, let's say, by these defensive lapses that we've all become so accustomed to. Yeah. I mean, do you think the the defensive lapses or the, the, the moments in his game that people find frustrating happen with that much frequency that they're becoming a hindrance to us in terms of the way that we play? I mean, it feels to me, and this is just a, a perception thing, that there is a weight of opinion about Xhaka and his role in this team that is now teetering on the the negative, right? That, that uh, how do I liken this to, to another situation? That when fans lose faith in a player or a player's ability, they don't see any more the good things that they do, but instead every single mistake becomes magnified and only adds to that perception of the player's unsuitability to being in the first team. And I think Xhaka, rightly or wrongly, is is in that situation right now. That he could play 85 amazing passes in a game, mm. but it's the five or eight that don't make the target that people remember. And I I think that's a difficult thing to come back from for the player... And I think w- whether it makes people's judgment of him correct or incorrect or, or whatever, I'm not trying to make that uh, that assertion. I, I just feel like we're sort of there with him. As the questions show, there weren't too many questions going, why is it that people can't see the, the good things that, that Granite Xhaka brings to the team? All the questions are about when is he going to get dropped? Yeah, I think that people feel that he hasn't really had to earn his place, which is funny because when he first joined the club, he started on the bench, didn't he? And people yeah. were crying out for him. It was, it was almost identical to the Torreira situation. But I think people feel that he has been one of the first names on the team sheet, kind of irrespective of those mistakes. Mm. And maybe that's why there's that weight of sentiment around him, that people feel it's overdue. It's interesting, isn't it? He arrived the same summer as Mustafi and they're kind of both in that situation with the 
fans, aren't they? Where yeah. uh, their mistakes have, have sort of led a judgment to be made about them. And it does feel like it might be impossible for them to turn that tide. I do think, though, when you watch the games, there are more positives to be drawn from Shaq. There are more obvious positives to be drawn from his contribution than Staffies. And what I think is that Emery is trying to shift his role. He is playing the pitch that he has done really at a point uh, well there were periods last season but generally that he's played at Arsenal and I feel like Emery is trying to move him away from the area where he's most exposed and I think that's intelligent I think that's the right thing to do I mean Emery had Thiago Motta at uh, PSG who's Oh, funnily enough, although someone who's played at number 10, not that different to Shaka. He's very tall, upright. Immobile. Uh, immobile, but a very good technician and a good passer, very left-footed. And I've, I almost wonder if he's looking to kind of replicate that with Shaka. But what Motta had alongside him was Verratti, was someone who was much more mobile, much more able, you know, with short possession uh, and happier in tight spaces. And I, I, I guess I'm kind of hoping Torreira is that guy. So, I mean, would that be your preferred midfield for for the Newcastle. next few games? Well, I mean, would you would you be prepared to give Xhaka a run of games alongside Torreira? Because, you know, I would, I have to say. I'm sort of at the point where, with Xhaka, where I need to give him this last chance before I can be absolutely sure one way or the other about how he fits into into this team. You know, I, I think he, mm. I think he needs a run of games alongside a midfield partner that really suits him because I don't think he's had one at Arsenal. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, who's he had? He's had Cochrane, and that mm. never really worked. Um, Ramsey, Ramsey, I think was just you know it didn't have the right balance. We all hoped for it to have the right balance, but it, it didn't. I, I would like to see him given a run alongside Torreira, and, and look. I'd quite like to see Genduzi alongside Torreira too. I'm not ruling that out. Um, we haven't really seen that yet, and I, I'd be interested to see how that would play out. But I do think that Shaka and Torreira, I look at the game against West Ham and how we controlled the second half there. Yeah. I look at that last 20 minutes against Cardiff, and I just think, a bit like with Aubameyang and Lacazette, we've seen bits and pieces of it, and I think it's enough to justify using it from the start now. Mm. And I think that is Shaka's last chance, isn't it? Yeah, maybe not last chance, but certainly if he can't do it alongside Torreira and if those, uh, if those parts of his game can't improve or aren't in some way balanced by the presence of Torreira alongside him in midfield, then I think we've got to think long and hard about his suitability for, for this team and the way that it wants to play. And the, the only option at that point then is to, is to go a different direction and say, look, thank you very much, but you know, you've had three seasons. It hasn't really worked. You know, I think there's good to his game. I think he's, he's, uh, he's a good passer of the ball, but also I think there are, there are too many moments. There are too many moments where his, his mistakes cost us goals mm. and cost us momentum and, and what have you. So if he can't do it alongside Torreira, you know, if we give him 10 games or whatever it is, and I know that's not a huge amount of time, but I think you, you would have a good idea as to their suitability with 10 games. You know, like you, I was encouraged about the way that the midfield looked better with Torreira in it 
uh, against West Ham and certainly yesterday I think when Ganduzi went off who didn't play badly I'm not saying Ganduzi played badly but I think when Ganduzi went off and Torreira came on we looked uh, very much in control um, in a way that we weren't necessarily particularly in the build up to the to the second Cardiff goal so I'd like to see that given a go and if it's not working then you know let's wash our hands and say okay you've had enough chances it's time to think of something different yeah I would I would tend to agree with that um, Jonathan Rowe says glass half full question which is mm-hmm. nice isn't this a game we lose in years past Cardiff playing like Stoke getting cheap goals and us not being able to handle it do you think there's something to that do you think I mean certainly last season it feels like we would have lost it yeah, possibly, possibly. I think there was just more going on last season as well, though, than than just the, the game. There was there was something weird about us going away from home. You know, the players weren't really... I don't think the players could look back on the way they played last season away from home and say that they were properly and fully committed and focused. You know, I think they lost faith. They lost faith in the manager. They lost faith in his ability to set up his team away from home. Teams knew how to exploit our weaknesses away from home. And it was so at odds with the way we played at home, you know, where our home record was second only to, to Manchester City's. You know, you could, make the, um, you could make the case that it's not about the quality of the players or the quality of the team. There was something else going on away from home last season. Um but yeah, we probably wouldn't have won the game. I'm not sure we would have lost the game against a team like Cardiff, but I don't think we would have won it. And maybe that's um, a positive aspect of the way that Unai Emery is setting things up, that there is a resilience at least to setbacks and we can cope with them better within games um, and find the goals. I mean, conversely to that, Mike Kelly, who's at Mike uh, Kelly 88 says, how worried are you that we've made two poxy teams look really competitive? Are we becoming Kevin Keegan's Newcastle? <laughs> well, I mean, they came second, didn't they? So I'll take that right now. Um, we we have made West Ham and Cardiff look, I think, better than they are. And the table tells you as much. Uh, and that's a little bit of a concern. But at the moment, we are winning those games. And I, and I do think that what's important, actually, is that while we are a work in progress, we still have to pick up points. You know, we can't afford to get through to Christmas and still be languishing around mid-table. You know, mm. we, if, we, if, we, if we have to have a realistic chance of getting into the top four, even a chance, we, we have to be picking up points along the way. So I'm sort of more uh, content with the fact that we're winning the games than I am worried at the moment. But... Uh, there are danger signs there and any team better than that as we've said many times would certainly punish us yeah okay here's a question from Ollie who's at Ollie Tucker 83 who says given there have been plenty of moments where the team made mistakes and had wobbles especially playing out from the back how encouraging do you think it is that despite those the players especially Czech have tried to stick with what Emery is trying to implement that's a good question actually I hadn't really thought about that I mean it's in their interests, you know, nobody wants to go against the manager's orders, but I think it is promising that they, uh, they they appear to be buying into it. And everything we've heard from them suggests as much. Now, whether they've got the right people out there to be doing it, or whether these players will ever be able to do it to the, to the capacity that someone like a City can, we don't know. But I guess at least they're embracing the change. Uh, but they should, right? It's their job. Yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's literally their job. What are they going to do? I mean, go on strike? 
Yeah, like what's Chet going to do? Just like keep booting it until they bring him off. I mean, look, I, I've said I, I think it's impressive the way Czech has sort of tried to buy into this idea. Um, we had loads of questions about the playing out from the back, actually. So I might I might do a couple now. I know we spoke about it mm. in part one. Um, I thought this was quite an interesting one. Dan Botzet, who's at Botzerto49, says, Petacek is not the biggest issue of playing out from the back. I would argue that both centre-backs being right-footed is the main contributor to the chaos. Socrates finds it impossible to open up his body towards the left-hand side. Do you guys agree? Well, I don't think it's necessarily an issue that both of them are right-footed. You can be right-footed and still be able to play passes with your left foot. You know, so I don't think it's I don't think it's that. I don't think you need a right footer and a left footer. I do think it's a perhaps a question of the players getting more used to it and the defenders I mean the easy option for the defender is to go back to the goalkeeper. Right? That's the yeah. easiest option. Just go straight back to the goalkeeper. You're put under a bit of pressure. You turn around, you play it back to the goalkeeper, and you put your goalkeeper under pressure. So I think perhaps some of it is learning or being a bit more confident in perhaps finding a, a different pass or finding the more risky pass, which has got to be part of playing out from the back as well. I know it is, you know, you can you can go back and forward and left and right and use your goalkeeper and go between the center halves and everything else. Um I do wonder if that might be a, a, a limitation, uh, certainly of Socrates. I think Mustafi is more comfortable on the ball than Socrates appears to be at this moment in time. Uh, whether that's a confidence thing, finding his feet at a new club, whatever, um, I think that's true. I think there's also the the knowing where to play the ball back to your goalkeeper as well. Like, yeah. don't make check take a touch. <laughs> no. If you know seriously, no. I mean, that's not a joke. I mean, I know you're laughing, and it sounds obvious, but but play it back to him in a way that if he needs to move it quickly, he can, or if he if he needs to to play the ball first time, whether that's uh, long or whether it's uh, putting the ball out to to the wings or to the switching the play to the other side, make it as easy as possible for a keeper who isn't necessarily as comfortable as we would like, uh, you know, to to play the ball as quickly as possible. You know, he is a six foot five or whatever height. Petr Cech is, you know, doesn't necessarily have the greatest touch for a big man, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I think there's a bit of that. I do think there is some responsibility on the centre halves as well to be a bit more adventurous in the way that they pass the ball. I mean, by contrast, you know, just to show another perspective, mm. Omer, who's at Guna underscore Omer, says Pep Guardiola immediately got rid of Joe Hart when he took over at City. He knew he couldn't teach him the fundamentals, such as having skills on the ball and good passing ability. Is Emery wasting his time with Czech? Um, is he wasting his time? I mean, it really depends on what, what they're seeing from Bernd Leno in training You're because right it's not it's yeah. not as if he doesn't have the other option he's got the he's got the the ball playing goalkeeping option at his disposal he has it sitting there on the bench we spent 22 and a half million pounds on him mm. so he's got that option if that's if he views that part of the game as mission critical and, and really fundamental to the way that he wants to play he has that option there already but what, for whatever reason, he prefers to use a guy who looks very uncomfortable with that part of the game. 
Yeah, and he's a square peg in a round hole in this system. So what conclusion can we draw from that? What conclusion can we draw from the fact that a £22.5 million goalkeeper who's been capped for Germany, who has played 300 and something games for Bayer Leverkusen in the Bundesliga, is 26 years of age. This isn't some kid we've brought in who's great with his feet. This is a really, really experienced goalkeeper. So the conclusion I would draw from that is that Emery sees Czech, despite the flaw in his kicking game or his footballing game or her passing game, whatever way you want to you express that, mm. he sees Czech as the superior option in every other aspect. And that to me, that's worrying. You know, I, I know new signings need time to come in, but Emery has shown with Genduzzi, he's prepared to play a 19-year-old kid who came out of League Two and he's prepared to play him in midfield in the fastest, most physical league in the world. Against Man City, he's prepared to play him against Chelsea. So, it, you know, he's not necessarily a manager who will say, well, you're too inexperienced to play. Leno is not inexperienced. He's loads and loads of experience. So it makes me worry that that Czech is playing despite the fact that he's got these flaws to, to that part of his game. You know, and I know, I know, I get yeah. it. Four games, you know, we don't know. Uh, I just don't believe that a goalkeeper of, of Leno's stature needs to be babied into the Premier League. I don't believe that for a second. And if he does, yeah. there's something wrong with that too. The, the point you make about him being willing to pick Ganduzi is a really good one. I mean, the one thing that... Gives me some pause for thought there is he's not picking Torreira, but then Torreira's been at the World Cup, hasn't he? Leno wasn't. So it is hard to figure out. I mean, you know, I said on this show, you know, the whispers I'd heard were that Leno hadn't been particularly impressive at, at Colney. Um, and maybe that is a factor in, in what's going on. But I do think that it's getting to a critical point now where, as we said earlier, if, if Czech continues to look this uncomfortable, we have to make a change. I mean, Something we have to accept as fans is that playing like this always incurs an element of risk. Look at Liverpool. They spent 70 million quid on a goalie. They dribbled into a striker this weekend, you know, but it it can happen. It can happen. And I think something we spoke about on the first show of the season, I think after the City game, was that the crowd at the Emirates, you know, have to, they they can't buy into the panic. You know, I understand the worry, but... There are going to be risks taken if we play in this fashion, and we have to accept that, but we might have to mitigate a little bit, and Leno feels like he could be a way to do that. Mm. Yeah, well, look, we'll, time will tell. Time will tell, obviously. Um, and he may come in and take his chance and be exactly what we're looking for, uh, and I hope that's the case. But, you know, just based on what we've seen so far, it's hard not to be a, a little bit worried. Dennis O, who's at den underscore O seven, says, is it a bit worrying that Emery is subbing in attacking players defending a 3-2 lead? He did the same in the West Ham game, too. Licksteiner and Holding were on the bench. I'm trying to look, think about the subs. I mean, one I remember is bringing uh, Welbeck on for Ozil. I actually don't think that's an attacking change. I mean, I think that's a change that probably gives you more defensive security, even though Welbeck is ostensibly a striker. You know, just because, particularly on that right-hand side, mm-hmm. you know he'll get back, you know he'll cover his fullback, and also just the energy that he can offer at that late stage in the game. Um, the other change was Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan for Aubameyang. Yeah. 
Again, I'm not convinced that's an, uh, an attacking change. I mean, Mkhitaryan is not a great defender, but he's a more midfielder, isn't he, than Aubameyang is. So that's not something that hugely worries me. And if anything, I seem to remember Arsene Wenger bringing on all the fullbacks, that causing us to be under big pressure in games sometimes. Yeah. Mm. It's finding uh, the balance, isn't it, about, uh, you know adding some defensive solidity if you are defending a lead, but bringing on defenders is not the only way to defend. Mm. Keeping the ball is a good way of defending. Having an attacking threat is a good way of making sure that the opposition can't score. So, yeah, I, I'm sort of with you on this one. You know, I don't know where you would have put Lichsteiner, for example. Would you bring him on for for Ozil and push Bellerin further forward? Lichsteiner, right? I'm not sure. You know, I think, I think uh, you make a good point about Welbeck giving you more defensive security than the Mesut Ozil does on the right hand side. That's definitely true. So, um, yeah, look, maybe, maybe he feels that attack is the best form of defense, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all right with that at the it's moment. It's hard to disagree with him uh, on this, but and also we did actually nearly score a couple of goals in, in stoppage time. We actually looked quite dangerous. I, mean, yeah. I, I didn't have an issue with the. I thought his changes were good yesterday. Um, ben F, I know we talked about this in part one, says he's at Ben FAW1, says, did Lacazette demonstrate why Aubameyang isn't suited to the number nine role in the Premier League, Premier League with his hold-up play and strength with back to goal? What do you think about that? Um, I think for this particular game, when you're looking at the way that Cardiff were going to play... You know, they weren't going to push up high. They weren't going to give us loads of space in behind, which is what Aubameyang can exploit. I think it showed the benefit of having both of those players because Aubameyang scored a really great goal. Lacazette was our best player, really dangerous. And what uh, a goal. We didn't talk about it much, but I love that finish. Yeah, absolutely. He really put his foot through that. You know, and actually the one that hit the post as well, where he took a shot from a, a wide position in the box, he really got an awful lot of power on that shot. You know, it was one of those where the goalkeeper went down and he he was nowhere near it, despite the fact that he knew exactly where Lacazette was going to try and hit it because it was the only real option that he had. The ball, he never got near that. He wasn't getting anywhere close to it, but um, he really does... Did you see him saying... Uh, he'd seen tapes of the Cardiff goalkeeper and he he thought, oh, uh, if I use power, I can beat him. I, I thought that was that. a really strange question. The guy on Sky Sports said, uh, you know, when you were there, did you did you really feel like hitting the ball with power was your best chance of scoring? And I'm thinking, well, you know, you're fucking eight yards from goal. You're on the turn. How else would you hit it? <laughs> He's not going to side foot it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, in fairness, I didn't see the clip. I thought he had just come out with that. I, I don't nothing. think he really... I mean, he did say something about, you know, we saw some tapes of the goalkeeper, but I don't think the instruction was, you know, right. hit it with power at the goalkeeper. I mean, it's just self-evident, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's not like Unai Emery has sat down and said, actually, this goalkeeper is really quite weak when you fucking cunt the ball as hard as you can. <laughs> into the top corner. Yeah, if you really smash it into the top corner, he, he doesn't save those. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, good. Thanks for that, boss. He does strike the ball sweetly, yeah. though, doesn't he? Yeah. Very clean strike of the ball. Small feet, probably, like they used to say about Mikel Arteta. But, I mean, that finish on <clears throat> the third goal, you know, there aren't too many strikers in the Premier League you'd back from there. But what do you think about this idea that maybe Aubameyang, because of those assets that Lacazette has and he maybe doesn't, isn't necessarily suited to the number nine? Well, maybe not for all games. Maybe not for right. all the games. But I think there are certain games where Lacazette's you know, physical presence and his ability to play with his back to goal, I think he's better on the ball than Aubameyang. 
you know, I think he's much more comfortable on the ball and being a bit more of a creator than than Aubameyang. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of interested. I, I wasn't really into the idea of playing Aubameyang left, and I'm still not entirely convinced. But it does feel like there's perhaps the bones of a good relationship there between Aubameyang and Lacazette. They they you know everyone talks about how much they get on off the pitch, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know maybe let's give it a couple of games and see how it works out. And you know there might be times in games where they can switch because Lacazette could play from the wide position as well. I don't think he's going to give you that that blistering pace, but maybe he can just give you a, a more possession-based option on the left-hand side if you move Aubameyang into the middle, you know, confuse the centre-halves a bit and move your forwards around. So I think for certain games, Lacazette up front is a better option than, than Aubameyang. And I think yesterday's game was one of those because you're playing against a defence that's going to sit deep and not allow the space behind that Aubameyang would, would use to uh, to break into. And as well, they're going to crowd their penalty box. They're going to sit, you know, eight, ten men in front of the ball. It's hard to find the space and the movement in the box, regardless of how good you are at that. And Aubameyang is good at that. Um, so, yeah, there are going to be games where I think it suits him better than others. And I think yesterday was one. I've got I've got a question, which is yeah. you know we can all see this sort of bromance developing between Aubameyang and Lacazette. How much does that matter? Like, is that something that you see and you think, wow? Consequently, we must harness that on the pitch, mm. or do you think it's sort of an irrelevance? Part of me thinks it's an irrelevance. The old sort of uh, Teddy Sheringham, Andy Cole. Yeah, time, and everyone you know. trots that one out, don't they? You don't have to yeah. be mates to play together and work together effectively. But if you do like somebody and you do like playing alongside them, I think there clearly can be benefits to that as well, right? Yeah. You know, if you're playing with your mate, then, you know, are you willing to go the extra yard and get a tackle in and, and win the ball back for him or whatever it might be? There's got to be benefits. I don't think it's huge either way. You know, you're not going to play two players together just because they're best friends. You know, uh, Matthew Flamini and Mesut Ozil, okay, they were great mates, but, you know, you wouldn't really put them together too often and hope to win as many games as you'd like, right? Mm. So I think it can be a, a small benefit, but I do I do think it's it's not really that relevant in, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's true. And for every Cole and Sheringham, there's a, a Cole and New York, you know. I suppose what you have to hope is that affinity, whatever it is, in some way uh, translates into a, a, an understanding on the pitch. That's what really counts, ultimately. Not, yeah. Not, not your Instagram stories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I still think it's kind of early days in, in seeing how those two are going to operate together. But I, I'm I'm sort of interested in seeing how it goes because towards the back end of last season when Lacazette came back from his injury he scored quite a number of goals between then and the end of the season I think he got 10 goals maybe Mm. between then and the end of the season I know it was in all competitions but uh, Aubameyang came in and played quite a bit with Lacazette as well Arsene Wenger played him from the left and he got 10 or 11 goals in the Premier League in those 12 games that he had left in the season so I think there's there's something effective there I really do think there's something effective there, so we'll uh, we'll wait and see how it goes a bit more. Um, yeah. Have you got any more questions? I do have one more question. Go on. Uh, I'm just going to find it here. Yet, yeah. where is it? Uh, it comes from Niall McCarthy, who's at Niall G Mac, and he says, "Am I alone in having an overwhelming urge to throw Neil Warnock a fish?" Hashtag Arscast Extra. Hashtag Penguin. 
<laughs> I guess he is. He's quite like the penguin sort of of, of Batman films, isn't he? I yeah. mean, he's like that sort of humanoid penguin. He's not, he's not like the Danny DeVito penguin, but he is a bit no. like the penguin from the the old series of Batman. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that uh it's that uh, you know, it's that idiosyncratic face shape. And also just the the sound of him. I imagine that's a I don't know what noise a penguin makes. But I imagine it's sort of like an... And that's kind of what I hear when Neil Warnock's talking. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I guess we could look this up uh, and just see what a penguin sounds like. I think they do sound like that kind of... But that's yeah. a bit more of a duck, isn't it? That's a duck, I think, that you've that's done bit, there, But yeah. it is. It's like, imagine that in the Antarctic. Yeah. I'll, I'll try and do it again. So I. Th- this is what I think a penguin sounds like. Okay, and mine is really like, ar, 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 ar. okay, yeah. okay. So we've, so we've laid our cards on the table. Okay. Let's have the truth of it. Okay, this is this is uh, Penguin Sound. This is coming from the penguinsinternational.org YouTube video. Okay. okay. Couldn't be more official. No. Oh. Ooh. Wow. It's got like a... to it, yeah. hasn't it? Here's a... Something like a bit like a donkey as well. Like bird donkeys. Bird, if you bred a bird and a donkey, you get a penguin. That's, That's exactly. how it works. Wow. That's where they come from. We have finally uncovered the mystery of penguins. I know, exactly. Have that, Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've solved the problem. Uh, if uh, Sir Richard Attenborough, David Attenborough, David Attenborough, isn't it? David. It's David. Yeah. Richard is, he's, um, he's dead. He's no um, longer with us now. No, he's no longer with us. So if... Uh, if they, he's listening, then there's an afterlife. So that's good news. But well, also, if, if, if David's listening, what yeah. were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, Planet Earth 3, you know, a whole new series on, on how we've basically discovered the, the origin of penguins. Yeah. Yeah. March, a sequel to March of the Penguins, Sound of the Penguins. Yeah, Sound of the Penguins. When we take them to Cardiff and confront Neil with his ancestors. And the other thing is, is that even if you weren't to throw a fish at Neil Warnock, Mm. I think I would like very much to pick up a, I guess maybe a, a, a fairly substantial trout and give him sure. a slap across the face with it. Yeah. I think that's fair enough. And I'm surprised you didn't go with a bigger fish, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I've made a huge mistake here, haven't I? Yeah. Like you There's could make a pretty I, big fish out there. I'm thinking swordfish here. <laughs> Just run him through. Yeah. Like a, like a bayonet. And then you could feed him the rest as he faded away. Yes, for sure. Well, look, we're going to leave it there before we um, get too grisly on the murder of... Uh, I was going to say Stephen Warnock, but Neil Warnock no. uh, with a fish. Stephen Warnock, relatively innocent in this. Relatively. Are they related? Uh, I don't think so. It's just bad luck. Are you sure? What if we discover he's like his son? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but there's only one way to tell, and that's to approach Stephen Warnock with a fish in hand and see if he sort of starts just, you know, getting sweaty and like sort of waddling towards you. Stephen Warnock is a former professional footballer wow he's 36 now Stephen Warnock right isn't that something where, and where, and did you see I know I'm not one for the the um 
the happy birthday bullshit. You know, happy birthday to this former player and this former player who's ever played for us. But happy 35th birthday to Jose Antonio Reyes. I did. It I've made never me, felt it made older me feel, in my life. made me feel so old. I know. I, I, I did see that and I had the exact thought. And I thought, I mean, the, Jose Reyes being that age, I think he's still playing at least, isn't he? So I can take some mm. solace from that. But what, the day Jose Reyes calls time on his career... You know, I will have. I mean, that, that's really upsetting, yeah. thought, isn't it? I just felt, I just felt very old. Okay, folks. Um, just to let you know that there will probably not be an Arscast on Friday because I'm going on holidays on Thursday. Um, but actually, we might put something up. Oh yeah, I'll figure something out for Friday. Um, I know what we'll do. We'll do Liam Brady on Friday. I know our Arsplug members on Patreon have heard that already, but I'll put that out on general release on Friday. An interview with Liam Brady I did during the summer, which is uh, really fantastic. So you can all listen to that one. If you are an Arsplug member on Patreon, we've got a brand new episode of My Arse up there right now. It's gone up today. Uh, The guest in question is George Atala, who is, I have to get his title up here, James, Assistant Executive Director of External Affairs for the National Football League Players Association. So that's the NFLPA. And he's actually quite connected, not connected to Stan Kroenke, but he has come across Stan Kroenke in his dealings as a uh, a representative for the NFL players. Of course, Stan Kroenke owns an NFL team. Uh, So he's a big Arsenal fan. You can listen to me talk to him about NFL players and what's going on uh, with the NFL players and all his Arsenal memories on the patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. That's up there now for you guys. Um, I am going to bring my microphone. Okay. Here's the microphone. I've got it here, right in front of me. That's going on holiday as well. Go, microphone's going on holiday, so we will do an Arscast Extra next week, uh, next Monday. So we'll have that for you next Monday. I will take time out of my holidays and my um, eating of ham on ruffles mm. to... Um, to uh, to do a podcast with you, James, and I will... Uh, right, well, we could discuss the Legends game. I'll be at the Legends game on Saturday, I think. The, oh, really? Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, so at least we'll have something to talk, because it's interlal time, isn't it? It is. It is interlal time. Two weeks without football. Um, so, look, I will catch up with the rest of you guys next week from Spain, and uh, I'll be leaving the blog in the hands of, of other people. Tom and Andrew Allen will be looking after all that. But uh, as ever, thank you for listening to this, and we will catch you on the next one. Cheers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.